Welcome to the Natural Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Backus, and I'm very excited to have uh, my astrology mentor, uh, astrologer, writer, teacher, Emily Trinkus with me today. Hey, Emily. Thanks for being here. Hi, Christine. Happy to be back. Thank you. I'm really excited about our topic today because we have a little bit of a rant. Um, it should be an informative rant and probably an interesting rant to those of you that are um, into astrology. And then uh, we have we'll talk about the solstice because today is December twentieth, and the solstice is tomorrow, December twenty first. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, and we'll probably unpack the the chart for the the solstice as well. And um, I think with that, we're just going to dive in. And uh, um, yeah, and I just for those of you that don't know Emily, I will put links to her website. She has her own podcast, um, the Embodied Aquarian podcast, which and she gets some really cool speakers on it. And you've had some really cool ones lately. And then also just to say, Emily has a, um, I don't know what you're calling it now, but a lunar cycle or a group. And yeah, so maybe you could say a couple words about all that stuff and then we'll dive in. Sure. So I um, record a transmission for each new moon and full moon. And I'm on Substack and people who are paid subscribers to my Substack um, receive those transmissions. And if you want to be a free subscriber, that's cool too. You'll get my podcast and also uh, like a write-up for each new moon and full moon where I really try to distill. Like I know there's a lot of blah, blah, blah out there about lunations and I really try to distill down to what do people really need to know? What's the most, um, yeah, what's the most useful information about how to work with the energies useful and practical? Cool. Yeah, thanks. So um, I'll just tell a little story. And then I know you have your story to tell too about why we chose the topic that we chose for today. Um, and what we're talking about is the tropical versus the sidereal zodiac. And what that, and, and one of the ways you could think about that is like Western astrology versus Vedic astrology. Uh, and we'll talk more about what it means, but it's essentially tropical zodiac, the signs based on the seasons versus sidereal zodiac, the signs versus on versus the constellations. And the the short story of the difference is that it, it, you find that the newspapers will get into this sometimes when they want to discredit astrology. They'll tell you, oh, they told you your son was is in Scorpio, but it's not really in Scorpio because the the two zodiacs have diverged over the last couple thousand years. Um, and so we'll get more into that. But the story I wanted to say is that, uh, you know, this debate goes and it kind of comes up and surfaces every once in a while. And as more and more people get into astrology, I'm seeing more people that kind of put themselves out as astrologers or experts um, denigrating one system or the other. And what happened on my end is I got um, an email from somebody that actually that was at the Aquarian Summit who does human design and gene keys and astrology. And this person sent an email that said, I just had this mind blowing experience. I met with somebody who is also, you know, does this kind of work. And they um, the, the upshot of the email was this person explained to me why I have to use intuition because the systems that I use aren't really accurate because they rely on the tropical zodiac instead of the sidereal zodiac. And it was like this big revelation to this person. And I was just flummoxed actually by the fact that an astrologer would say, oh my gosh, tropical astrology is so inaccurate. And I've just discovered that and my whole life has been you know, everything is this big apocalypse. So I sent the email to Emily and I said, this drives me crazy. What's going on? And maybe you want to tell your half of the story and then we'll keep going. Sure. It drives me crazy too. So first of all, it drives me crazy when people say, oh, astrologers are wrong. You're not really a Virgo. You're actually a Leo. And, and what they're referring to is the fact that um, 
in the sidereal zodiac, and sidereal means with the stars. So sidereal, and this is what's used in Vedic astrology, but there are Western astrologers who also use the sidereal zodiac. It's actually, if I say Mars is in Cancer, then we can see, you know, the red planet Mars and the constellation of Cancer behind it. Um, so with the stars. And the tropical zodiac is based on seasons, meaning that zero, the first degree of the zodiac, zero Aries, always lines up with the spring equinox or the vernal equinox. And this is to say that like, you know, okay, Christine is a Capricorn sun. So she was born in the season of Capricorn and she's imprinted with those seasonal energies. That's what the tropical zodiac would say, right? I'm a Virgo sun. I'm imprinted with that energy of, you know, harvest time and, you know, that the harvest season, Virgo season. Um, and these two zodiacs line up they, they come together about every 26,000 years. And the last time that happened was about 2,000 years ago. Okay, so, so people are confused when they hear like, oh, you know, I'm not really a, you know, I'm not really a, a Taurus, I'm really a, an Aries. Well, there's just two different zodiacs. And I wanna say, I think all systems work, right? Like tropical works, sidereal works, reading tea leaves works reading tarot cards works, right? It's it's all, these are all different ways to tune into the divine mind. And it, it's just a matter of each individual using the lens that best tunes, you know, that best focuses my attention so that I can read the divine mind. You know, it all works, all house systems work, it all works. Um, so there's also something in me that gets irritated when someone's like, this is the only, this is the best one, this is the right one. You know, everyone needs to use this, you know, like it all works. It just depends on the the um, uh, ability, the skill of the reader. So I, a friend sent me an email um, of a video by a guy, by an astrologer who used to use the tropical zodiac and then he switched to using the sidereal zodiac. And he was saying, now that I use the sidereal zodiac, it's purely scientific. I don't use my intuition at all. And so that's like red flag <laughs> to me because to me, we're always using our intuition. And there's, a, you know, we have two sides of the brain and there's a reason for that. We need both sides of the brain. And what, one of the things I love about astrology is that, yeah, it is an objective science. There are certain rules and structures and then we use our intuitive mind because, you know, every sign can can mean, you know, a thousand different things. Every house can mean a thousand different things. Every planet can mean a thousand different things. So to put them all together into something meaningful, that's your intuitive mind. So, um, so anyway, in the way that he was describing the tropical zodiac, it made it clear to me that either he did not understand what the tropical zodiac was and the value of the tropical zodiac and why the tropical zodiac works, or he did understand and he was just skewing um, the information to make his point. So to me, the this idea of it, the tropical zodiac is very much about the cycle of the sun, right? And, and this is why this is a very apt conversation to have at the winter solstice where we're or on the eve of the winter solstice we're at a power time um in terms of the sun's cycle we're at a solstice when the sun stands still the darkest time of year that has significance so to me how can you say the tropical zodiac doesn't have significance how can you say that the quality of light on the earth doesn't have significance or that the seasons don't have significance. This is very much about how we um, relate to the earth and to our bodies, how our bodies feel in real time. And I want to share something that I that I just heard yesterday. Um, I've, as some of you know, I've been studying biodynamic agriculture, which is, uh, you know, was initiated by Rudolf Steiner. So I've been getting more into anthroposophy and Steiner's worldview. And um, so I was in a, a workshop with the Anthroposophical Society yesterday, and the woman was talking about how Steiner saw the difference between the tropical and sidereal zodiac, that the tropical is more associated with the moon, 
and lunar forces because it has more to do with our day-to-day -day experience. Just as, and I know a lot of you here, probably a lot of you listening, are familiar with the lunar cycle and how freaking literal it can be and how much it relates to the cycle of creation and destruction and you know fruition and manifestation. Um, it's very experiential in day-to-day. Whereas the sidereal zodiac with the stars is a more solar system because it is, you know, solar energy is more about transcendence and transcending into these higher dimensions. And so, you know, th this idea that one, that it doesn't have to be either or, and I'm actually learning more about sidereal now because in biodynamic farming, it uses sidereal, um, the sidereal system. But also, you know, I remember when I, I interviewed Daniel Jamario, who's such a wonderful astro elder, um, astro mentor, initiator of the shamanic school of astrology. And he's like, why does it have to be either or? So he uses the tropical zodiac, but then pays attention to what are the stars? Be, you know, you can use both. Right. You can talk about the fixed stars and use the tropical zodiac. It doesn't have to be one or the other. OK, that's my that's my mini rant here. <laughs> well, we have plenty of time for more ranting because I'm not done either. Um, there's a couple of things I want to say, and then I'm going to put up my little slide that shows the, the for me, it's a very graphic representation of why I feel more drawn to tropical. But there's a couple of things and, you know, you touched on that whole one is right and the other is wrong and we're in this time where um our agreement like our agreement our big cultural agreements on on how the world works are breaking down and what i see is that some of the people in our field are sort of trying to grab on to scientific credibility you know we want to be credible with those people that don't believe in astrology which is never going to happen. I don't care, sidereal, tropical, whatever. The, the, even that is different ways of looking at the world. So that, I think that's part of what's going on is that, that breakdown of agreement on how the world works. And I think the reason it bothers me so much is that those of us that are already on the fringe, which and uh, granted the fringe is getting bigger and, and less fringy as astrology gets more popular, but I've always felt like we kind of need to stick together and and not do this infighting about my system is better than yours. And of course, I think. And then the other thing I want to say that's um, I have two different ways of thinking about this. One is um, there's a quote by a uh, statistician from about 100 years ago. His name was George Box. And he said, all models are wrong. Some are useful. And if we forget that all we're doing is creating a model of the world and trying to describe how the world works and we start to confuse it with reality, that's when we start fighting about whose system is better. And those of you that have done spiritual study, and I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast have done some spiritual work, you've probably heard the story. I don't know if it came out of Buddhism or yoga or what, but that we never want to confuse the moon with the finger pointing at the moon and astrology, you know, all this stuff that we talk about is the finger pointing at the moon. It's not the moon. And as Emily said so beautifully, there are so many ways of describing reality. It's like different languages, right? We wouldn't say that French is better than English, except for maybe in certain situations, right? Or that English is better than, you know, Russian or Italian or Chinese or whatever. We would just say these are different languages and, and they do shape how we see the world, but they're all equally valid. And uh, so let me just share my screen. I don't know how this is going to work with two, um, two of us, but let's see. So this is, um, this is the Celtic Wheel of the Year. And this is why I'm drawn to tropical astrology. You know, I have, these are my roots, right? I have Northern European, uh, Scandinavian roots. And so to me, this makes things feel more, um, it's more intuitive for me. Even though I studied yoga and Ayurveda, I still get more in tune with this version of the Zodiac. And if you look, so here's Aries on the left where my little pointer is on the red and this is Easter, and this is the equinox, right? So, so this, 
this little description shows you how the seasons and this the Ostara and Mabon are the two equinoxes, the spring and the fall. And then Yule and Lithia are the uh, winter and summer solstice. And then Beltane, Lamas, Samhain, and Imbolc are all the cross-quarter holy days. And these are all based on the positions of the sun, and they line up with the zodiac because the zodiac is determined, as Emily said, by the position of the sun and therefore relates specifically to the seasons. And to me, it's, you know, one maybe this is also um, a function of us being so out of touch with nature that we're not only do we not can we not see the stars but we don't even pay attention to where the sun is in the sky and where the moon is in the sky and if we did we would know that as you taught me when we first started working together emily that they all work right that we can the sun cycles matter that our relationship to the stars matters and we have these systems built up and one is not better than the other. Um, and if you're truly in touch with nature, then maybe sometimes you're drawn to working with the sun, maybe sometimes the moon, maybe sometimes the constellations. So anyway, that's my other kind of half of the rant, and I'm sure there's more. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, I think that says it. I think that's great. I, I feel ranted out or um, I'm not sure if I have more ranting to do on this. On oh, this good. Subject. Oh, good. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, maybe just to, well, in fact, um, well, yeah, to just wrap that up to like make your own choices. Right. I mean, I think that's what we're saying in a lot of ways is that we each get to choose what system feels right for us. And, and I've, I've met, as so many more people are getting into astrology, I think it's very easy to think, oh my gosh, I, I'm doing it wrong, or I'm I'm not learning the right system, or whatever, and and there isn't one. Yeah. Well, and I think it's great too for you know, and especially for people who want to practice astrology professionally. I think it's really useful to get readings from people who use different systems and to to try different things and feel it out and see what resonates for you. Because um, you know, my sense is that you know, getting a reading with a Vedic astrologer it's very different. Not only is your whole chart going to change, but it's coming from a different system and a different perspective. And, you know, it's, I think it'll just give you a whole different sort of lens or perspective on your chart than a Western reading would. Um, and it's all valuable. Yeah. And it's kind of like switching house systems too, which both, you know, I kind of followed you, you switched from Placidus to whole sign and I did the same it, you know, they, it's, it seems like they're accurate for different things, more accurate for different things, you know, or, or more, um, like you get, I think the way you put it to me is you get what you get. And so a lot of it is which one, like for particular questions, which one seems to speak to you more. Mm -hmm. You know, and just one more thing I'll say in terms of the, of the sidereal zodiac is that what people aren't generally aren't aware of is that that's not a perfect system either. I mean, people would say like, oh, that's more accurate because the sun is actually in the constellation of Capricorn or whatever. Um, but the the challenge with the sidereal zodiac is that not all constellations are the same size. Some are much smaller than others. Others are much bigger. So, you know, in the tropical zodiac, just like from the, the diagram that you just showed, there's a very neat, everything is, each sign is divided into 30 degrees and it, and it um, fits within this, within the sun's cycle, within the cycle of light very beautifully. Actually, it's very elegant, you know, um, with the solstices and equinoxes, like that's a, a model that makes sense to me. When we're, when it comes to the sidereal model, it's messier. It's not, you know, so people say, I mean, typically sidereal is chopped into 30 degrees, but that's not accurate to what the stars actually are um, because they're not, they're not in those neat um, identically sized chunks. 
so yeah, there's there's there are some other yeah other issues in sidereal that people don't always pay attention to. Yeah, and if I remember right, that there's different variations even of the sidereal zodiac, and so again, exactly which one works for you. Exactly. And I think, and that's my, and again, I'm just, I'm early on in my biodynamic learning, but, but I think there is someone in the biodynamic world who actually um, does not divide the Zodiac into 30 degrees for each sign and changes the, yeah, changes the, the um, degrees depending on the size of the constellation. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons um, we thought this topic fit so well with today is that uh, the solstice tomorrow is when the sun reaches zero degrees of Capricorn. And so again, by the tropical zodiac, the, the point at which Capricorn begins is determined by when the sun essentially makes its stopping point in order to, to start to switch directions, if you will, um, from north to south. Because right now it's at its southernmost. And so the southern hemisphere is getting all the light. And us us up here in Montana have very short days and long nights, and it's a dark time. Um, and then as the sun reaches that zero Capricorn, when it essentially hits the Tropic of Capricorn, um, it, it begins to switch. And then um, that's when the sign of Capricorn, or that's when we say Capricorn season begins. So we thought we'd talk a little bit too about the solstice because it's a very interesting chart. It's a, so this um, solstice is quite unique. And uh, I read this somewhere else and then I went and did the kind of the homework to check it out. It's very unique in that Mercury is exactly with the sun at the same time the sun is at zero degrees of Capricorn. And that does not happen very often. It happened in 2020. But then before that, I think it had been 1985 or 87 since that had happened. And I'll also say this is a, a very unique winter solstice because this is the last winter solstice when Pluto will also be in Capricorn. Yeah. So we, there's a real, you know, this Capricorn season, there's a real grand finale around Pluto and Capricorn. Yes, Pluto will come back into Capricorn for a few months, um, September, October. 2024 for a last hurrah, but it's not going to be with the sun in Capricorn again in our lifetimes. So yeah, 250 years, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, a big deal, too. That's a good one. Do you want to, would it be helpful to look at the chart and chat about that for a moment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here is the chart of the solstice. And what Emily just mentioned, here's Pluto at 29 degrees of Capricorn, um, what is called the anoretic degree, right? It's one of the critical degrees of the zodiac. And, and so, yeah, there's what we could talk for an hour probably just about Pluto at 29 degrees. But here's what we're talking about when we're talking about the solstice. The circle with the dot is the sun. And you can see for this chart, sun at zero degrees and zero arc minutes of Capricorn. And again, that's by definition, right? The solstice says by definition, this is when Capricorn season starts with the tropical astrology. And you'll see that Mercury at the moment the sun enters um, Capricorn is at one degree, 32 arc minutes. But by, I think it's around, it's just before noon mountain time tomorrow. So just a few hours, because this, um, the solstice actually occurs at 8.30, not tomorrow. 8.30 tomorrow is when the solstice occurs. So early Friday morning is when Mercury and the sun are exactly together. And again, that's a very rare occurrence. So it's a really, it is an interesting solstice. So Emily, what else do you want to say about it? Because Yeah, well, what I want to say, I, I want to give my, you know, I was really deepening into this chart last night to prepare for today. And it feels, I, I kind of love this chart, actually. I think it's, I really love this, um, this astrology. And the message to me, like the, my headline for this solstice, and just, you know, remembering that we can think of the chart of the solstice as the birth chart for this new season for the next three months. And in a sense, since the, the winter solstice 
is the, you know, the darkest time of year. This is like the new moon of the year, right? Every, every month, every month we get the new moon, which is the darkest time. So, you know, this is such a powerful time for planting seeds of intention for, you know, going deep into ourselves, into the dark to vision. What do we want to create in the new year? And, um, and again, I'll mention Steiner because uh, this is, again, something I just heard yesterday, but he talked about how this time of year, part of the reason it's so powerful is because, because we have more dark time, the stars have a more powerful influence. And so this is a time to really be in communion with our stellar selves. And, and to me, that's a lot about like our bigger selves, our, our, our spirits, our, um, you know, our, our connection with source. Um, so to me, excuse me, to me with Mercury being so prominent and this point, this is called Mercury's Cassini point, Mercury in the heart of the sun. This is one, this is halfway, this marks Mercury's halfway point through the retrograde cycle. Mercury turned retrograde on December 12th. And this is so poetic. Mercury starts moving forward again on January 1st. <laughs> uh, we're not fully out of the retrograde influence until January 21st, and which is also really interesting because we get out of Mercury's retrograde shadow, meaning we're done with the retrograde influence, meaning we're ready to really, woohoo, let's go, let's move forward. At the same time as Pluto moves into Aquarius, at the same time as the sun moves into Aquarius. So there's a massive liftoff point. You know, one of one of the ways, one of the many ways that I think about Pluto shifting from Capricorn to Aquarius is we've been in a time when things are moving slowly and there's a lot of benefit to moving slowly and being in that more inward hermity space. But Pluto in Aquarius is not a slow moving, that's, things really are going to speed up. Things are really going to accelerate um, with that Aquarian shift. And so what, to me, Mercury in the heart of the sun, which, you know, part of the idea of that is there's a message coming in, you know, and, and again, winter solstice, like such a powerful time to be in meditation. And of course, culturally, oh, you're going to this party, you're going to that party, you're going to the mall to go shopping, da, da, da. it's like outward, outward, outward. And that's a total distraction from the actual gifts of this season, which is in, 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 in. And so to me, Mercury being so prominent, and Mercury is the mind, Mercury is our language. It's the, it's, you know, your word is your wand. Mercury is the magician, right? And, and we're coming into a, <laughs> a hell of a year. Like everyone's pointing to, you know, the next couple of years, this is it. Like this, you know, things are about to go wild. And so what is the message of this solstice? The message of this solstice is we need to get our minds in order, Capricorn. We need to have exquisite mental focus, right? This is Mercury in Capricorn, the disciplined mind, the focused mind, being very clear about where we're headed, the mind that's in integrity. Am I filling my mind with all kinds of nonsense and bullshit that's distracting me? Um, because the, the, the distorted expression or the kind of shadow of Mercury in Capricorn would be um, negative thinking. Oh, that'll never work. Oh, everyone did that before. I tried that and that didn't work. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, look what that person, wah, 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 right? You could get very negative and limited thinking. And the thing is, this all comes back to Saturn, Saturn in Pisces. And Mercury and the Sun are harmonizing with Saturn. And then they're also harmonizing with the Moon and Jupiter. Okay, so to me, the like high, high vibration or high expression of this setup is... We keep our minds, Mercury and Capricorn, focused and we're committed to our spiritual ideals, our higher vision, our dreams for humanity, the, you know, so that we can manifest and create moon, Jupiter in Taurus. This is the moon's exaltation in Taurus. This is a, a huge, like this hugely abundant creative manifestation energy so that we can create the more beautiful world, Right. So we've got to get our minds in order and, and remembering too that as Mercury goes retrograde, it's going back into Sag, 
and it's going to square Neptune. So here's the theme is all over the place. Mercury square Neptune. Are we dreaming up the, the most beautiful vision of our world? Or again, are we thinking into limited ways or negative ways? And, you know, I, my most recent interview for my podcast was with Megan Wilson, who's a writer, and she wrote this awesome book called the, A Creative Rebel's Guide to, I don't know, uh, Living the, It's Not Living the Life of Your Dreams, something like that. Anyway, it's an awesome book. And she talks in there about how you should not put anything into your mind. You shouldn't watch anything that you don't want to happen. Now, now, if you think about every freaking TV program that's programming your mind or movie out there, the vast majority are showing you, or God forbid, the news or the news that the you know corporate media wants you to consume. It's all things that I would never want to happen in my life and my world. And yet that's programming our mind. Right. So to me, this is a real like wake up call around like, look, we're coming into a really, you know, intense year. And we are, we have, our minds have to be in the right place. I mean, and even thinking about Pluto going into Aquarius, Aquarius is a mental sign. And like what Christine was saying earlier about like shattering these old, you know, paradigms of perception and, you know, thinking differently. Yeah, I think Pluto and Aquarius is going to blow our mind. But is it going to blow our mind in the direction of how expansively we can dream and imagine Saturn in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces, or is this us getting sucked into illusion and delusion because we're not owning, right? This is real like mental ownership, right? Taurus, Jupiter in Taurus, sign of ownership, right? Are we owning our minds? Do we have mental sovereignty and mental authority um, to create? beauty and to to create our dreams to create our dream world to create a, a world based on love and compassion and unity consciousness pisces right or and i think the really you know wah wah expression of this setup is our minds are hijacked by these total illusions of um you know apocalyptic bullshit so that we live in the shadow expression of Taurus, which is scarcity and survival mode and scraping by. And there's a lot of, you know, fears around that. Like, no, we do not have to live, you know, the future is not about living in scarcity. It's about living in abundance. And if you need some inspiration around that, check out Jim Gale and Food Forest Abundance. Um, there's some great interviews with him out there, but he's, he's creating food forests. Like nature's abundant. He's very, he's really expressing this Uranus in Taurus, like this revolution in our relationship to nature and the land and just how abundant we can have it. That's the future that, that I'm creating, but I want to go into. Okay, that's, that, those are my initial thoughts, but I'll uh, pause myself here, Christine. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, a lot, there's a couple of things I want to springboard off in terms of what you said. One is um, that the, I don't know if this is true every year, you probably do, but most of the time, Mercury's retrogrades are all in the same element in a year. So what Mercury is doing with this um, retrograde and this union with the sun is it's wrapping up a year where all the retrogrades were in the earth realm, in the material realm, earth, the earth signs, Capricorn, Taurus, Virgo, all represent the body money, your material possessions, the earth itself. And so we've had um, a lot of time to rethink, for instance, what we value or or how we want our material world to look or you know how we deal with money. Money's been up for a lot of people this year. Uh, so that's one of the other things I wanted to say about this particular Mercury cycle, because next year, I believe it moves into fire signs. All the retrogrades will be in fire signs. So that's about what inspires us, what what we create. It's that creative energy, life force energy. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to point out about the solstice and that this, and I'm going to stop the share now because I don't, I mean, we can come back to the chart, but what the other thing I wanted to point about, out about the solstice and another 
kind of way of thinking about the power of the solstice is if you've done, again, any me- uh, spiritual practice or meditation, maybe you've done uh, working with the breath, for instance, and uh, there's a little saying that I think comes, again, out of Buddhism saying, mind the gap. It also has to do with um, the tubes and the trains and, yeah, undergrounds, but we'll, we'll let that go for the moment. Mind the gap. Because in between, say, the inhale and the exhale, in between day and night, in between the dark time of the year and the light time of the year, you can think about that sort of turning point as a gap, as a pause. And in all spiritual realms, that pause is kind of an opening. It's like a portal. It's why I often talk about the solstices and even the equinoxes as a portal. And it in that and the it's kind of like what you do at the beginning of the day and the end of the day when there's that pause between um, between activity. What you do if you're doing breath work, if you what you kind of um, focus on in between the inhalation and the exhalation when you sort of draw out the pauses and focus on them. These are power times for starting something. These are power times for bringing in or letting go of, of wh- how you want your life to shift. And so the solstice is one of the biggest portals of the year where you get to choose, like, how do I want the rest of my life to be? And as, you know, g- kind of going along with what a- everything Emily was saying, I mean, this there's so much power in this moment. And, and by moment, I mean over the next few days as the sun pauses and we have that Mercury um, Kazemi and we have, it's almost like everything kind of hanging in the balance briefly. And we get to choose, just like we get to choose every day and every moment, but we really get to choose, are we going to help create the world we want or are we going to kind of keep putting our energy and our, our focus towards what everybody else is telling us we should be afraid of or worried about or, or um, you know, all the horrible things, the what ifs, you know, what if whatever, choose your particular fear and just insert in that sentence, right? Because we get to choose. And then the last thing I want to say too, is that I've had some very visceral experiences about abundance and and how the earth really is you know we we live in um a lot of programming about needing to conserve and needing to um you know like hold back and needing to limit because there's a lot of programming about us living in a limited world and while there's obviously maybe some truth to that the the real truth is what you choose to look at if you and I think a lot of it goes to how you think of yourself if you see yourself as abundant and as this incredible source of energy and and um, creation you know we are incredibly creative beings then you can also see that the world has a huge creative potential it's just that there's so much focus on destruction and dismantling and dystopia. Uh, and so again, the, the the solstice is a very powerful time to choose where you're gonna put your focus, as Emily said, and choose the world that you wanna create and choose even how you see the world. Mercury is also about how we perceive. So what, what lens are you going to see the world through? Are you going to see it through um, an abundant earth or are you going to see it through we're on the verge of destruction? Right, Because you could you get to choose that too. Mm-hmm. And I do have more to say about the chart because I think you know what Venus is up to and what Mars is up to um, are both worthy of attention. So, so I want to talk about Venus first, and and um, Venus being very important in this chart because we have three planets in Taurus, and Venus rules Taurus. We have the Moon, Jupiter, and Uranus all in Taurus, Venus's sign, and we also have the South Node in Libra, which is Venus's other sign. 
And Venus is now in Scorpio and opposite Uranus. And this is actually exact today, this opposition, but it's still strong at the solstice and still worth talking about here. So, you know, Venus in Scorpio as the ruler of the South Node, the South Node, the karmic past, um, where we can get caught in illusion. The South Node is a place of illusion. Um, I think this is pointing to where we can get caught up in past resentments and old emotional shiznit and how we're held back by past trauma. And especially like anything like with this Libra Scorpio combo, it's like, where are we making our life someone else's problem? Where are we still caught up in blame, patterns of blame, patterns of like, I need this person to do X before I can do Y. Right. And, and I've been, some of you have heard me talk about the crappy childhood fairy um, who you can find on YouTube, Anna Runkle, who's just brilliant and really giving me some new insights into um, childhood trauma, complex PTSD. But she talks about that pattern of always like being in blame and resentment. Like that's a trauma pattern. Right. And it doesn't get us anywhere. And so it's kind of exciting to me that this Venus and Scorpio ruler of the South Node, like where we could get trapped, where we could get caught up in all that old shiznit is opposite Uranus, the planet of liberation, breaking free. This is about like in order to keep our focus on the beauty and abundance that we want to create and our big dreams, we need to break up with this past energy. There is something that needs to be left behind here that has to do with where our emotions are still hooked into the old crap. And we need to lean into the Piscean forgiveness, right? And acceptance and also the grieving. Like, like if we're still hung up with that resentment and blame, it means there's something we need to grieve so that we can let go of it. And even just the fact of Saturn and Pisces, we know that this is, you know, Saturn being in the last sign of the zodiac there is a lot to let go of and in order to move forward um so that's really strong for me and and venus is also harmonizing with neptune and neptune is the higher octave of venus neptune is in the sign of venus's exaltation so this is really about leaning into turning it over surrendering surrender like where are we holding on to the stuff and where do we like there's nothing we can do about it there's nothing we can do about the past the past is past so you know what do we just need to say like okay i i give up i'm not i'm gonna stop holding on to this i'm gonna turn this over to god goddess to the divine to spirit we can really <clears throat> lean into those bigger energies those bigger source energies um the other planet i want to talk about is mars We've got Mars and Sag, Mars the masculine. Mars is also out of bounds for I think the next month or so. So this is a real wild, a wild Mars, you know? And Mars is a lot about our passion, our sense of direction, our desire, where we headed. Mars being so important as the ruler of the North Node, um, our evolutionary intent, evolutionary future, also the ruler of Chiron. Um, and Mars is coming into a square with Neptune. And certainly that's in effect at the time of um, the solstice. So first of all, with Mars and Sag out of bounds, this is about breaking out of the old paradigms, the old stories, the old belief systems going beyond, right? Again, where am I playing too small or where am I keeping myself in a box? Where am I not really following that like wild instinctual passion? that might take me to some crazy out there places. Out of bounds planets are about getting a little crazy in order to get really creative and innovative, you know, outside the box. But this square to Neptune, you know, there is that, again, with this chart, there's the potential illusion and delusion and, and putting our attention and energy into something that's illusory, that's not real, that's just, you know, fantasy in the not useful sense. Um, so this is where this is where that discernment and that mental focus, right, Mercury and Capricorn, and that clarity that Capricorn can bring, especially with this harmony with Saturn, right, get it, making sure that our energy, our life force, Mars, is really aligned with our 
spirits, right? This is, you know, not my will, but thine and, and really needing that quiet time and deep inward time to discern, does this really feel like I'm, I'm acting Mars on my bigger dreams and ideals? Does this really feel like, you know, spirit guided action or divinely guided action? Or am I just like, woo, again, this potential to just be like sort of all over the place, you know, minds all over the place, energy all over the place, distraction, distraction. Or yeah, this is, you know, like Christine said, this is a big choice point. And there's a lot of power here. Like I just, I see this as a super powerful chart. That's really, again, this is about setting ourselves up. This is not about anything happening instantly, right? Mercury's still retrograde. Jupiter is still retrograde until December 31st. Again, very poetic that Mercury and Jupiter both turn around just, just at the new year. But then it's going to take a little time for things to get going. And I really feel like the Capricorn new moon that happens, I think it's January 11th, is like that that's a, a really you know jump start point and then the energy just just starts building from there so this isn't about immediate action but this is about very intentional very conscious dreaming to to prepare ourselves to set ourselves up for the best possible expression of 2024 and it's not like i think like oh it's it's going to be terrible i think i think there's going to be crazy shit happening and i think how it comes out for each of us depends on how we're directing our focus yeah it's tricky yeah it it reminds me that what you just said reminds me of a quote from kasha urbaniak that i've used many times she keeps asking the question how good are you willing to have it and i think the you know we'll try to maybe talk about 2024 at some point because if nothing else just the jupiter conjunct uranus and taurus is a big deal but definitely other big deals I mean, there's like a, a a breakthrough quality to the whole year of 2024. And I think that's why this period is so important is that if you can't imagine how good the world could be, if you can't imagine how good your life can be, if you can't imagine, um, you know, so that that sort of what did you say the wild instinct of, and how like our, how big the life can be, like how much bigger we can be, if you can't even imagine that. It's very hard to get there. And the other thing I wanted to say about this chart since is that there's a lot of feminine energy, like most everybody but uh, Mars and Chiron and the nodes are in feminine signs and, you know, including Mercury with the sun and then um, Venus and Scorpio and then the Taurus contingent and the Pisces contingent. I mean, there's a lot of feminine energy which is that more inward, um, it's the, it's associated, the archetypal feminine is associated with incubation, right? And, and gestation and that dark time. And so it's, it's like our, um, we're really supported to think about what we want to birth and to really focus on what we want to birth, but not by going out and doing a lot of stuff, but more like, you know, letting that Mars energy kind of bring us into big, expansive dreams and imagination, especially in its relationship with uh, Neptune. But to contain that energy and um, let it incubate and let it really uh, build. And again, choose what you're focusing on. Choose your dreams. Choose what you want to imagine into the future. And the, you know, I don't know, I mean, maybe we could say it's in the context of the chart too, but I think what we've, one of the big themes of this time, and if you've heard me talk about it, I talk about the seven year period from about 2020 to 2027 as a time of transition, essentially from one story of the world to another. And part of this transition time has to do with Pluto and its power. And it's really about us learning to see ourselves as powerful, learning to own that power, and learning to understand power as the power to create rather than the power to dominate and destroy. Because our current story in the world is that power gets you the ability to control other people, to control the world, 
and to dominate and destroy. And that is an old story of power. It is destroying our world in some ways. And it is time for us to, to, to like reclaim what power really is and our ability to create. And I think, again, this solstice is a portal, right? My favorite word, a portal for a time for us to really like plant that seed and nurture it, really nurture that sense of power, our ourselves as powerful and as powerful creators. And, and we can change the world that way. That is how the world changes. And I just, yeah, I love everything you just said. I'm currently besieged by lionesses, <laughs> one on my lap, one on my shoulder. Um, but it just, that made me think about this Mercury retrograde that starts out in Capricorn or started out in Capricorn rethinking power. Um, and, and also what I, what I really like with this Mercury retrograde, you know, here's, here's Pluto at the 29th degree of Capricorn. So here's Pluto ending its journey through Capricorn you know, where it's been since 2008. And, and just as that's happening, Mercury is retrograde in Capricorn. And I think this is a lot about integrating, you know, Mercury as the ruler of Virgo has to do with integration and synthesis and digestion. And, you know, well, how am I going to utilize all this, you know, experience? What, what does it all mean? Or what am I going to do with it? And so I think this, you know, this Mercury retrograde, which I, and I love that it is happening at the darkest time of year, this is a, a time to really reflect on what's been happening since 2008. What have I learned about power? How have I shifted in terms of my own relationship to power and authority? Um, and, you know, and also considering if, if you use whole signs, then this is Pluto finishing up. It's, you know, 15 year journey through one of your houses. And now Mercury going retrograde in that same house is like a kind of check in and um, reflection. So I think there's there's a lot for us to reflect on. And we really want to get the the message here of Pluto and Capricorn in order to prepare us for Pluto and Aquarius. The Zodiac is a cycle of evolution. It's not like the signs are separate from each other. Right. We, they build on each other. And if we do our Capricorn work, then we get the liberation and the expansion into the heavenly realms of Pluto and Aquarius. My cat stuck to my sweater. <laughs> There's cat bombing, cat bombing in the podcast. Yes. Ah. And I yeah. And that's I mean, I think that's a uh, yeah, I love that point because it does. Yeah, it just does feel like this is a period of integration. Um, well, and I think that's what this is about every year, right? This, this we're, we're coming into the end of the solar. Well, we're at the end of the solar year by where the sol, the sun is in the sky. And then we'll be coming into the end of the zodiac year in a couple of months. And so this is an ending time. It is a synthesizing time. It is a, um, yeah, like a, I mean, it's no surprise, right? It's a dark time here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's a time to contemplate. And I do love that. I think that is a great piece of advice to really um, like sink into that looking back and integrating, looking back over the year, but also looking back over the Plutonian journey in Capricorn as we get ready for the, the final shift into Aquarius this next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one other thing I want to mention in terms of this solstice chart and, you know, where we're at astrologically with Saturn and Pisces and, you know, and I keep harping on Saturn because Saturn's the ruler of Capricorn. So and this is the Saturnalia, right? We're in the Saturn season, um, but also with Neptune and Pisces and Neptune nearing the end of Pisces um, and with that square from Mars to Neptune, I, you know, there's a lot of unconscious material for us to address and work with. And I think part of this Mercury retrograde in Capricorn and the sextile of Capricorn is like, we need to take care of the stuff we've been avoiding, right? The, the shadow, kind of shadow of Saturn and Pisces would be the avoidance, the escapism. Oh, I just can't deal, you know? And, and so there's a lot here about really, like, I think Pisces is just such a tricky energy. Like Neptune is such a tricky energy because it's so subtle and it's where we can get caught up in, um, you know, fantasy and what's not really, you know, what's not real. 
um, versus we can also do some really deep work in terms of what's really been happening on an unconscious level and getting to, I think this Mercury sextile to Saturn and Saturn sextiling, like harmonizing, um, Mercury harmonizing with Saturn, Saturn harmonizing with the moon and Jupiter and Taurus. This is really this opportunity to be able to get a new insight or perspective into some unconscious patterns and clean that up, again, all in service to getting our minds focused and in order and going in the right direction to prepare for the new year. Um, there's, yeah, there's some, there's some cleanup to do here. And then I also think, you know, with Venus as the ruler of the South Node, another place where we can go unconscious, this opposition to Uranus is a big wake up you know, a big awakening to like, wow, look at that unconscious pattern. And, and I, I want to say like, just, you know, in the past couple of weeks, I've really, I have cleaned up a few places where, where I've been acting uncut and just gotten that like sort of uh, lightning bolt of like, oh, I totally see how I'm caught up in my projections and making up stories that aren't true. And this is an old pattern. And I'm, you know, and, and so I think there's a lot of really beautiful support for freeing ourselves from that. So we can be using that Pisces energy, that Neptune energy in the more, you know, positive way in terms of focusing on, on the dream and, and creating something new and using our imaginations in really powerful ways. Yeah. And we have two more years, right. Of Saturn and Pisces, and it is sort of crystallizing some of those unconscious patterns, but giving us, you know, it's to me, What's really fascinating about Saturn and Neptune and Pisces is that their Saturn is kind of coming along behind Neptune and and as you say, sort of like bringing out these unconscious patterns, tell, showing us what we're dreaming into reality, and then they dance together at the end of Pisces, but they don't actually meet until they get into Aries and they meet at zero Aries, and it's like this. It, to me, that's you know that's kind of the culmination of this period of transition we're in is that. Um, shift of of Saturn and Neptune together, and I think that happens in February of 2026. So, it it adds emphasis to me of what we do now really does set the tone for the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so plant seeds consciously, and and yeah, and know that you have the power to do that, and there's a lot of support for it. Yeah, it feels kind of like we've, I don't know, I've run out of ranting and and stuff. What else? Is there anything else that's on your mind about all of this right now or anything you want to reiterate? Um, I think that's, I think that's what, what I have to say here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you don't have anything coming up in terms of offerings, right? Emily, is that? You know, I'm officially on hiatus from teaching, and I have to say it's really challenging for me because <laughs> um, I keep coming up with things I want to teach. And and I, I think I might have to break my hiatus to do um, a just one-off class in January about Pluto moving into Aquarius because I've heard a lot of astrologers talk about it. And I, it's, it's very Virgo of me, right? It's like, no, they're not. They should be. Anyway, I have my my critiques, and so that means I have something to say that other people aren't saying. But just in terms of how to really work with Pluto and Aquarius, um, yeah. So I I will will most likely be offering just like a, a you know ninety minute workshop on Pluto and Aquarius at some point in January. I would I can't help it. I would love to see you do that. And in the meantime, I will send you the Pluto and Aquarius workshop I did so that you could. You can factor that into the, yeah, but she missed this because, you know, I do that too. I get done with a workshop and I'm like, wow, I didn't talk about that. So you can, yeah, yeah. You can never talk about everything. There's always too much. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and I don't, I mean, it, it's not really, I, I hesitate to announce it because of the, of the time frame, but I am doing a solstice retreat tomorrow online. It's one of my favorite things. And we're going to be doing a ritual around money that um, basically has us participating in the flow of, of creative energy and money in the world. So uh, among other things, so I also do yoga nidra. And so it's very restful and relaxing, even though it's three hours. So there's a little bit of astrology, a lot of journaling and meditation, and then just 
guided relaxation. So I'll put a link in the show notes, but if you're curious, if you're listening and you're curious, you can also just reach out to me if it's today's the 20th that's happening tomorrow, but there will be a recording. Sounds um, wonderful. I can't think of a better person to guide people through the solstice portal than you, Ms. Capricorn. Ms. Capricorn, right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Emily. This has been fun as always. And, and maybe we will schedule something sooner than later so we can talk about 2024 and the crazy, crazy, exciting time. Mm-hmm. My pleasure as always. Thank you so much. Yeah. So happy solstice to everybody. And uh, I will talk to you again soon.